Welcome to Hablamos, Conversations on Teaching, Learning and Biomultilingualism, the podcast of the ICME EE project at the University of Nebraska Lincoln. As is mentioned in the name, the main goal of this podcast is to embrace multilingualism. So we are going to have conversation around this topic in the classroom and how teachers can support by a multilingual development. I'm Araceli Lobato and I will be your host. So I hope you enjoy today's conversation. So welcome to the ICME EE podcast. Today we have another uh, special guest, but I will say that this it's double special. I'm not saying that the previous one weren't double special too, but um, uh, we have someone in our team that uh, she really loves this professor. So welcome to our podcast, Dr. Maria Brisk. Did I say it right? Yeah, although my full name is Maria Estela <laughs> Risk. Because <Stella>. I'm <laughs> so I can say Dr. Maria Estela, perfectly wet, but the surname is quite difficult for me. <laughs> <laughs> um, thank you so much for, for an, allowing us to interview you. It's, um, it's an honor to, to be able to meet you and, to, and for our listeners, it's going to be. Um, an important um, interview, I, I will say, because of your experience and especially because of your experience, I will say. So for our listening, uh, so they have, I'm nervous. <laughs> I'm not usually nervous when I, I interview professors, but I'm, like I'm getting used to, but today I'm nervous. <laughs> um, for our listeners, so they have the opportunity to know you a little bit more. Can you introduce yourself to, to them? Yeah, I'm, I'm um, uh, from Argentina originally. And, um, and uh, since, since I was a child, uh, my mother uh, stressed the importance of uh, being multilingual. So I grew up. Uh, speaking Spanish naturally, but also learning English and French at the same time. Mm -hmm. And so I got very interested in languages and, and majored in the university um, in, in English. And so I wanted to go do graduate work in an English-speaking country and came to the U.S. with an OAS scholarship to study at Georgetown. And I studied applied linguistics. And then I married an American and I stayed here. <laughs> um, and when I, we, we taught in many places in Puerto Rico and Peru. Um, and then when I ended up in New Mexico, um, uh, there was the time when the first bilingual federal law was being developed in 1968. So I was, it was before the uh, actual law was there, but some of my professors were involved in that. And so they encouraged me to, to do a doctorate with a specialization in bilingual education, which was really not very common at all at the time. And, um, and so, so I, from then on, I, I continued working on that. Eventually, after several stops in our life, we ended up in Boston. And, and uh, here I did a, 
um, I got involved in doing a lot of teacher education to prepare teachers in many languages because uh, in, in um, this area there was bilingual education in a number of languages and, um, and also preparing doctoral students who become uh, professors uh, later. Um, so I worked for many years in, in bilingual education. Actually, they call me the grandmother of bilingual education around here. And, of, and as you know, Massachusetts has, has its ups and downs. We were the first ones uh, to, uh, to have a bilingual law, but then we joined the group that eliminated the bilingual law, and now we have a bilingual law again. <laughs> so I've seen it all. <laughs> And um, that's experience. <laughs> yeah. So, um, so I, I've been uh, I've worked a lot with many teachers, and and since um, since the elimination of the bilingual uh, education in Massachusetts in two thousand and two, I got very interested in working with mainstream teachers and. That's, uh, I started teaching at BU, but now I'm teaching at Boston College. And in, uh, so I developed a Boston College a program in which all of our teachers would um, finish the program having some notion of, of how to work with bilingual learners. And there were, there were different uh, degrees in which they, they, they could go more or less deeper in, into that. And, um, the other area that I was always very interested uh, was the area of writing because I felt that when I learned English, nobody taught me how to write in English. And um, so about 15 years ago, I discovered a linguistic theory, you know, systemic functional linguistics. And, uh, and I started uh, working with schools on teaching writing informed by that theory. Another aspect of my background that I'm very proud of is that I raised a fully bilingual daughter. Nice. <laughs> the next generation, two fully bilingual granddaughters who now they get very mad at me if I don't speak in Spanish with them. <laughs> don't want to forget the language. So, and that's very hard in this country, but, but uh, I, I'm very proud that, that they have that uh, bilingual identity and they're very close to my family in Latin America. That's, so, that's amazing. <laughs> yeah, uh, so the grandmothers are the only hope for language maintenance in this country. <laughs> <laughs> it would be interesting if you, if your daughter wouldn't be bilingual, like, because you are like, as you said, the grandmother of bilingualism, it will be interesting if your daughter wouldn't be bilingual or your granddaughter. Right, yeah. But it's a struggle because there is no... Yeah, it's so difficult. No sense. Like, when I was growing up in Argentina, everybody thought I was so intelligent just because I spoke two other languages. And, mm -hmm. and not that feeling in this country of that. So it's really it's something that you have to ve work very hard to make sure that the kids um, feel good about being bilingual and good about having uh, a combined heritage, uh, hybrid heritage. So yeah. that's that's so difficult and important at the same time because we have seen now 
uh, the problem that some school, um, well, not only the school, but in the families, that the the kids uh, don't want, they don't want to speak the language of the home because certain reasons, because they think, because well, there are so many reasons, but um, one of them it could be because uh, their language are stigmatized or because they feel that they only need to speak in English. So yeah, you say it's so important and it's a great achievement for sure. Yeah. And I like that, you know, wherever I, I, I go, I spend a lot of time with my granddaughters and we travel, they're grown up, one is finished college and one is in college. And wherever we go, we always speak in Spanish. They've never been embarrassed about speaking Spanish in public. And so that's, that's my that's a bigger accomplishment than my phd and all those things <laughs> over the years <laughs> yeah like the kid feels that uh, she's proud of her language and the, her her family background that's so important and we see in the school that it's a huge um a struggle for many kids because they as i said they maybe only want to communicate in English instead of using their language because many reasons that yeah be so and, and that's the that's the what we've been doing in in this school that I that I mentioned where I'm uh, where I develop my approach to teaching writing with the teachers which is um, a school uh, that uses English as a medium of instruction but has about 60% Spanish-speaking students and about 15% Vietnamese students. But among the Spanish-speaking, because of the way Boston organized schools, depending on the schools, they receive newcomers of different languages. Mm -hmm. So among the Spanish speakers, there are a lot of uh, kids who are recent arrivals. And, uh, and and they in the classrooms are very bilingual communities so so they are able to uh, use uh, Spanish to express themselves uh, to work in groups to write and and the teachers not necessarily know the language but they what they want is for the kids to be able to function so and they get, you know, like a few weeks ago, one of the fourth grades classrooms got a newcomer and the teacher out of her own pocket run and bought the Spanish version of the book that the class was reading in English mm -hmm. so that the kid would have, could, con could uh, feel that he was intellectually at the same level as, as the other kids and could be, you know, part and they can be part of the discussion because so many of their classmates are bilingual. So, so they can participate and they, and they participate in whole groups and, and, and they participate publicly. So they, is, the language is not hidden there. I mean, and, and they continue to progress. I mean, another kid arrived from the Dominican Republic in fifth grade and the class that week had started to study the Declaration of Human Rights. So the teacher immediately uh, found it in, in the, the Spanish version of the Declaration of Human Rights in, in, and gave, her, gave the student an iPad so that he, he could have the material in Spanish. And he wrote in Spanish the whole year and advanced, advanced two levels in the access test in English. 
Wow. In writing. Um, so, so they never feel uh, diminished and, and their language, they feel that the language is, is, is a, a medium for developing, a medium for exchanging ideas uh, and things like that. So it's just so important uh, for children uh, to feel that they don't, they don't have to be marginalized no. just because they are not too, totally fluent um, in English. And so they feel uh, a lot better uh, about themselves. And uh, well, the, the guy, the, that guy from the Dominican Republic was so cute because <laughs> when he was in a group, uh, you know, and the teacher made a point that, she that he would be in a group of bilingual uh, students uh, doing collaborative work, he thought that they were there to service him and to, to make sure that <laughs> right, you know. So that's why he learned so quickly because he had all these teachers, it seemed, <laughs> one teacher had a room of teachers. But the, but the thing that was interesting is that the teacher was always checking on, on him and on what was happening. And so she never released the responsibility to the bilingual kids. She always felt that she was responsible for this student and even, even followed him up after he finished. Unfortunately, he had to leave after fifth grade. The school doesn't go beyond fifth grade. But, but she made sure that he would be well taken care of wherever he went. So, so it's, it's so nice to see that, that that can happen in schools. It doesn't have to be the other way. You know, it can happen regardless of the language ability of the teachers, no? Totally. I think that you are making a great point here because sometimes teachers can be afraid of, okay, I don't speak the language of the newcomer, what I do, what can I do in my classes so he or she could feed or adapt. So and we have, like, I'm taking courses about languages and what I have read, it's, like translanguage in pedagogy, for instance, it's a good uh, it's a good way to to make this student be involved in the classroom. And it's not necessary that the teachers know the language. As you gave us this example um, with the teacher that bought the book in the Spanish version, so um, or just because she doesn't or he doesn't know the language, it doesn't mean that he or she is not gonna check on the student. So we can find different things to approach the, the language difference, but it doesn't mean that a student cannot fulfill in the classroom because of their fluency in English. Right, and, and, and to feel competent. To feel competent. And, and engage. But of course, these teachers have, have been working with me, as I said, for 10 years in which mm -hmm. this um, uh, a linguistic theory as a basis for teaching writing. So there is a lot of teaching of language and that's why the kids are successful because, uh, because of the intentional uh, teaching on language in, in a contextual way, in a functional way. The language that is going to help me write an argument and the language is going to help me write a report or a fictional narrative, something like that. So it's a genre-based pedagogy. With, with enormous amount of language uh, development in it, and and um, so so the teachers not not only have the the teachers can have the w goodwill because they feel competent. 
uh, so they they don't feel afraid because they feel competent, competent. in language, even if, if even if they don't know the language of the children. And the other thing is that is that they feel, you know, they they feel that that they can ask for help. So you know, like we were there, we were in the school, and I had some of my graduate students also spoke Spanish. So if you went in a classroom. You couldn't just do observation that you, do, you did your research. You had to help there. <laughs> your language skills there to also help uh, the teacher, you know, and the students. So, so they they really feel that they that they can work with the kids if they have this supportive community that helps them uh, with it. You no, know? so so uh, so it was very much the focus on making sure that the kids succeeded and that the kids uh, felt uh, that we're in a community mm-hmm. that, that had their backs. Like one of the girls say, my teacher has, has my back all the time. You know? <laughs> um, um, so, uh, so... The relationship that these teachers are built with those students, it's, it's huge. Um, so I have a question for you. What would you recommend to those teachers that don't feel so competent as your as your teachers in in the school that you are working on? Um, what kind of recommendation can you give them to those teachers? Well, I I think um, I think if you if you help them with with some uh, ways uh, or strategies to help the students uh, that they're, they're going to work so that they, you have to, you have to put them in a situation in which by what they do, the bilingual students are successful. And then, and that's when they gain the confidence because they see that they can teach something or work with the bilingual students and the kids can get ahead, uh, whatever uh, that way. So any, any, any activity that is going to help that teacher be successful uh, with a student is the one that helps uh, them build the confidence. And, and once, once they build the confidence, then they are more willing uh, to try things. I remember years ago that I suggested something for a kindergarten teacher and I Again, she had backgrounds, and and she only spoke English, um, and it worked. And and then and then she said, you know, when I came back to visit her again, she said, "Well, this really worked, and I wouldn't have never done it with these kids. I would have done it with my kids, but I would never have done it with these kids, you know." And when I encouraged her to do it, and she saw that the kids could function. And she was ready to try everything. <laughs> so, so is that notion? Is that notion that the kids that is going to be too hard for the kids, and 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 uh, and that's and and that's is what they call the pobrecito syndrome, yeah, <laughs> pobrecito, you know. And, that, and I think that's one of the biggest problems. I mean, you don't the kids can can make it if you provide the, the scaffolds to make it, but providing the scaffolds to make it 
is not giving them watered-down curriculum. You, you want to give them the curriculum that you think the kids deserve to know, but then provide the scaffold so that they are uh, successful. But you can, cannot just say those things to the teachers. You have to give them a, a few pointers of, of ideas that they can do in the class that are actually uh, providing uh, the scaffolds, you know? And of course, I'm a linguist and I'm a big pusher uh, for language. And I think that's the problem that we have is that we have a literacy world that doesn't know anything about language. <laughs> and, um, and so I think the kids are really shortchanged uh, that way. You know? so, and, and in our work in, in writing, we do work uh, with science and history and everything else. It's not just uh, writing uh, what happened last weekend and things like that. Mm -hmm. uh, so the kids are very stimulated and very interested in in what they're writing. Um, so the writing is meaningful for them and they see the purpose. Right, right. And, and you know, I just focus in, on that. One is because I think it's the schools do a terrible job in teaching writing. And, and, <laughs> and, and then we test our kids through writing. So we just put them in a very precarious uh, position. Uh, and um, so that's what I push, but, but, but through writing, we develop our language, we develop ability to uh, analyze and tear apart text so your reading gets better. And so there are a lot of uh, writing also helps develop content knowledge, helps uh, the kids bring their own ideas to, to the discussions and and the page and everything else. So, um, so it's really interesting when one of the teachers said that they had done uh, last fall um, in, um, well, let's see, no last fall, the, the previous fall in anticipation to, uh, to the elections, they had done uh, reports on the positions of the two presidential candidates and, and then they were going to do an argument which one you should vote <clears throat> for given, given their positions and stuff like that. And one of the parents called the teacher and said, what are you doing in class? My, my son is getting involved in our political discussions and he's so <laughs> <laughs> <You know? laughs> So the kids were really um, Involved. developing intellectually and, and critically about what was going in the world around them. Um. Yeah, it, it was something meaningful for them and something real, authentic. That's, sometimes we have problem in the school because the, kid are not, the kids are not motivated because they don't see the purpose of what they are studying. So in this case, it's something that they they were seeing every day in the news, in the newspaper. They were hearing like the parent talk. So yeah. that's what they were so involved. <laughs> yeah. So anyway. So. Thank you so much for this conversation. Do you like to add something else? Well, I, I, I always say that we have to uh, remember that bilingualism is possible and it's desirable. So we shouldn't be afraid of it. <laughs> yeah, and it's a gift. 
Yeah. <laughs> I always say that. <laughs> yeah. So thank you so much for, for having me. Um, it has been a pleasure. Um, I'm so glad that I could meet you. Thank um, you very much. And uh, you're, you're my professional granddaughter, you know, because your <laughs> professor is, was my, my student. <laughs> <laughs> so thank you so much. Bye-bye. Hey.